She whipped up Donald Trump into a frenzy, writing a book that convinced him that rapists and murderers and drug traffickers were pouring across the border from Mexico, threatening our safety and our national culture. Ann Coulter's arguments, based on scary anecdotes gleaned from nexus searches, led to Trump's signature, if wholly impractical, campaign pledge to build a wall from sea to shining sea and have Mexico pay for it. But when Trump failed to deliver, Coulter turned on him and accused him of being a wimp and running a, quote, joke presidency that scammed the American people. Coulter's stinging attacks on Twitter, along with the tongue-lashing on talk radio by her ideological ally Rush Limbaugh, is widely credited with browbeating Trump and leading directly to the recent government shutdown. How does Coulter feel about Trump now? And how does she defend her 2016 campaign book, memorably titled In Trump We Trust? We'll talk to Coulter as well as another bizarre character who played a role in Trump's political evolution, notorious conspiracy theorist Jerome Corsi, on this special deplorables edition of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. All right, Clydman, let's stipulate. We're going to get a lot of shit for this show. I mean, having Coulter and Corsi on, two characters who I'm sure most of our listeners feel are two of the more unsavory characters in the Trump era, both of whom played key roles. But look, you know, we like to expose skullduggery listeners to um, all perspectives and uh, as many characters as we can in the unfolding uh, saga of Donald Trump's presidency. And Corsi and Coulter are interesting on two levels. Levels. One, both helped to shape Donald Trump's political views. Corsi, with his ridiculous birtherisms uh, that inspired Trump in 2011 and put him on the political map. Coulter in 2016 with uh, her book Adios America about the threat of Mexicans coming across the border. And more recently, both have played a role. Corsi, a key player. He's a person number two in the Roger Stone indictment. And he's got some uh, interesting material that uh, we're going to talk to him about. And of course, Coulter and the government shutdown. Yeah, look, the criticism is always don't give these people with their vile views and their conspiracy theories platforms. But the reality is in this social media age, they already have platforms. I don't know how many Twitter followers Ann Coulter has, but, you know, millions or something, huge numbers. And that's an unfiltered platform. She gets to just be out there and spread her message to whoever she wants to. This is filtered, you know. We will ask tough questions, and we will expose, as, as you say. And the other thing is, just to your last point, yeah. however improbable as it may be, these two characters are influential and important. And yeah. as I think we'll find out, Jerome Corsi, who's a key witness in the Mueller investigation, has brought to bear new facts, new insights into that investigation, where it's going. And Coulter has, you know, in large ways driven... Donald Trump's most important right. and controversial right. policy. And you know, I, we would would anyone would criticize us if we put you know Stephen Miller on or Steve Bannon on when he was in the White House. Stephen Miller arguably is a functionary compared to Ann Coulter in terms of influence on immigration. All right, we don't have to be that defensive because yes, I do. You know, God damn it! I'm getting I'm preempting the criticism. Here. Yeah, well, we're going to get it. But look, <laughs> you know, there is also a sort of a delicious den of thieves aspect to this. You know, they're all turning on each other, as we'll discuss with Corsi. Roger Stone is calling him a liar and a drunk, and of course, Coulter and uh, and Trump are going at it, which we'll uh, explore with Coulter. But before we 
get there, just a couple of other items which I want to uh, bring up. Number one, I got a fascinating email just last night from our skullduggery guest, Steve Cohen, the congressman from Tennessee, the chairman of the Constitutional Law Subcommittee, who shared with me an invite he just got from the Kuwaiti embassy on the occasion of the 58th anniversary of the independence of the state of Kuwait. Request the pleasure of your company at a grand reception. Guess where? The Trump Hotel in Washington. Talk about the emoluments issue, which is right before the federal courts right now. Judge Massetti in Maryland has given it the green light to go ahead. And this is the foreign governments pouring money into Trump's business, raising questions about the constitutionality of that. And here we have evidence. It's going on as we speak. The lawsuits notwithstanding, the Trump Hotel still taking business from a foreign government. the Kuwaitis invite you, Mike? Uh, I did not get that invite. Um, but, you know, maybe I'll that, just go crash the place. Well, you know? there was another skullduggery uh, yeah. in which we talked about you getting an invitation from the Saudi embassy for uh, Saudi Arabia's National Day. Yes, yes, yes. That got canceled because it was uh, the week that the Khashoggi uh, murder was blowing up. And then the other, just other item which I want to quickly vent about because we've talked about it, talked about it last week, we've talked about it a couple of weeks, whether we are going to get public hearings from the new Democratic Congress about the Russia investigation itself and key witnesses. And here we have Adam Schiff, another past skullduggery guest, the new chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, having his first crucial hearing, Russia-related, with Michael Cohen. And guess what? Next Friday, behind closed doors. I just don't get this. I understood it when the Republicans controlled the House and control the Intel Committee, and they were working hand-in-glove with the president and essentially acting as defense lawyers for Donald Trump. This is the Democratic House. You know, Adam Schiff is now the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. What possible reason could he have for not continuing to not bring any fact witnesses before the committee publicly. This is unprecedented. Didn't happen during Watergate. Didn't Didn't happen during Iran-Contra. Campaign finance hearings, all of which involved ongoing criminal investigations, but Congress understood that it had a constitutional obligation to get the facts, especially when it concerns questions of presidential conduct or misconduct. And in this case, everything is being done behind closed doors. I'm just well, I really think, I think we need to ask every single Democrat on that committee this question. And frankly, we need to ask Nancy Pelosi the question. Absolutely. Now, look, you know, the answer is, well, we can't interfere with the Mueller investigation. Michael Cohen's testimony is locked in. He can't change it now. The Justice Department knows what it is. Mueller knows what it is. The American public doesn't know what it is. And Schiff does this behind closed doors. Other members of the House will not know what it is. So if Cohen is really accusing the president of engaging in criminal conduct, either on campaign finance violations or telling him to lie about uh, the Trump Tower Moscow deal, we don't know what exactly he would have to say. There's uh, disputed reporting on that. But We and members of Congress deserve and should demand to know the facts so they can be acted on depending on what they are. Well, we are off to a fiery start, so let's get get to our guests. (laughs) Yes. All right, Ann Coulter, welcome back to Skullduggery. Oh, it's great to be here, especially when I'm so busy running the country. Yes, well, you know, it does make <laughs> Gotta me... Gotta take time for uh, you, though, Michael. The first, uh, <laughs> uh, my first comment for you is echoing what Hardy used to say to Laurel, it's a fine mess you've gotten us into. <laughs> Um, uh, this is so you, preposterous that it has anything to do with me. Yeah. Well, let's we'll explore if that. If I'm, r- I'm running the country, man, it would be better run. Yeah, well, and we would have a wall. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll discuss that. But yeah, obviously, we're going to talk about your on-again, off-again relationship with uh, El Presidente. But let's start out with your most recent spat with Newt Gingrich. I mean, <laughs> like, can't you get along with anybody? I mean, j- just to sort of set this up, Gingrich points out that... I'm living in fantasy land. Coulter's never run for office. She doesn't know anything about how you put a majority together. She's off here in some fantasy land where she gets to be noisy, which helps her sell books. And Coulter responds on Twitter, Newt's right, I'm just selling books, but at least I don't have to kiss Trump's ass to do so. Yes. 
Yeah, so would, I mean, he did correct me. I checked the Constitution. It turns out we don't have a free speech right to talk about public policy issues unless we've run for office. So I yeah. take it all back. I'm just a citizen. Yeah, but look. No he, right his, to comment his, on public affairs. His, and he was also right that I'm living in fantasy land. I will say it was a very important correction. We do have an impermeable border wall, 2,000 miles, sea to shining sea. So I thank him for alerting me to that. That's why Trump is sailing to re-election. Right. How could I be so foolish not to have noticed the border wall? Yeah, there's a substantive point. 16 feet high, just like Israel has. No illegals coming. (laughs) All right, look, there's a substantive point here Uh that Gingrich was trying to make, which is we live in a political world in which compromise is necessary because you've got a big chunk of the country, a majority, that thinks you're off your rocker and that this wall makes no sense and they don't support it. And guess what? The Democrats control one chamber of the Congress. Your biggest confrontation with the president over this, which some would say led to the shutdown of the United States government, came after the Democrats took the House back. So, I mean, how Why did it happen that way? Because the president effed up. He kicked the can down the road for two years and he signed two spending bills with no funding for his central campaign promise. The base was angry the first two times when he tried to do it a third time. After promising at the last spending bill, I'll never sign another bill like this. Never, never, never. As I said to him at the time, that's right, because you'll be impeached. Then he gives this so classic Trump, completely counterproductive, (laughs) utterly pointless, because it sounds macho. I'll take blame for the shutdown if I don't have wall funding. Five days later, oh yeah, okay, I'll sign it, no wall funding. No, it wasn't me. Yeah. It was the base that noticed. It was the All Drudge right. Report. It was it was, the it was noticed, Rush Limbaugh. Base... And also, don't cite the phony polls to me. Let's go back to you know your all of your polls. Ninety percent chance Hillary's winning Election right, Day. Right. Everything the media says about yeah. immigration is a lie. Uh, particularly the polls. See my book, Adios America. But, we put this <laughs> lunatic in the White House for one reason. You helped put wall. this lunatic right. in the White House. Right, but it's and by the way, there is Do no you have on any again, apologies again, to make for no, that. There's no on again, mm. off again relationship with Trump. I, I will defend him on the things he deserves defending on, and I'll right. attack him when he doesn't keep his promises. But look, the point is— I don't know why it seems so crazy to think that a president should keep his campaign me. promises. All right, look, <laughs> wow, look. that, okay, but that guess crazy what? lady. All right, forget <laughs> the polls for a moment. The Democrats control the House. They're not going to give Trump his wall. So what do you want him to do? You obviously do not follow me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I follow I enough been, of you on Twitter. I have been but, very yeah, yeah, clear. Yeah, yeah. From, right. Actually, since Election Day. what was one, what? And I wrote about it in Trump We Trust. One of the great things about Trump's campaign, and the campaign was beautiful. Suddenly, I'm really warming to Chris Christie for his attacks on, on basically everything Trump did to destroy his campaign. He should have kept Corey Lewandowski. He brings in his incompetent a liberal Democrat son-in-law. It's just all gone to hell since then. I mean, Conway is totally right about that. George Conway, we were talking about him before I walked in and greeted you. But as long as he does the right things, I'm totally with him. Okay, well, here's the question. Is Trump a fraud or no, is he incompetent? He's, he's lazy and incompetent. He's not a fraud. I don't think he's a so you, fraud. So you, yeah, you think we'll he, I mean, you've had many conversations with him about this subject. You say right now at this moment that to his core, he believes in this policy and the reason it hasn't happened and the reason he caved in front of his base and you is because he's just incompetent as opposed to I mean do you have any doubts about whether you know he's kind of not really but i mean does he care more about building the wall or making sure jared gets good press there i'm not sure not sure at all but no he's always had the power to build the wall i feel like i'm dorothy and wizard of oz you've always had the power mr president <laughs> All right. He's always he's the president. How, how so? I mean, he so, knows. Well, wait, wait, wait a second. So you, you didn't answer my question. It. He, you, yeah. the entire public understands that if for no reason, based on false reports of chemical of nerve gas being used in Syria, the president has authority to just bomb civilians in Syria. Mm-hmm. But we think that he doesn't have the authority to protect the United States citizens by building a wall at the border. No, that's what the Defense so Department he, is for. So he that should declare an emergency. Defense, he should no, do he that. doesn't no. need to declare an emergency. He should read a constitution. Oh, my gosh, I'm commander-in-chief. Look at that. Of course he can build a wall. That's what the Department of Defense, or or I think it was called, what, what it used to be called before? It was War Department? War Department, yeah. <laughs> that's what our military did for the first 100, 150 years. They built fortresses along the border. What is the purpose well, of a didn't military? Congress appropriate the to money defend? back then? I believe the Defense Department is fully funded. 
I think they're doing fine. It, it, Unfortunately, it, it, it it's all... It won't be if it does what... No, but, you I people mean, are defending the plutocrats at Raytheon and, and yeah. Boeing. That's all we use Dep- Department of Defense funds for now. Oh, let, let's build more useless weapons we don't need to bomb civilians in Afghanistan and Syria and one... places where no one is going to hurt one single American. All right, look, Coulter, I just want to be very specific here. Uh-huh. All right, so you're saying he doesn't have to declare a national no. emergency. He, can he, he doesn't need to, funding he doesn't from need Congress. To. He doesn't need a deal from Congress. Right. He should just direct the Defense Department to build a wall? Yeah, that's what we have. Yeah, um, but, but doesn't Army Congress Corps have to of appropriate... Civil Engineers. Doesn't what did you go? What do you Congress think that name is for? Congress have to appropriate money Sure, are, okay, what so the what, they're just going to say Defar- Department of Defense can spend nothing? Are you claiming that the Congress could say, no, you can send troops to war, but you can't go up this battlefield. You have to go around back. Are we at He's war? He's commander-in-chief. Well, yeah. who, who are we at war with? <laughs> The point is, his job is to defend America. We're not at war. We're not at war with Syria, and yet we bombed innocent civilians there. Did you complain about that, Michael Isikoff? No, I don't think you did. Brian Williams practically, I can't say what he almost did on air. Well, for the record, we have been, I think, we've done a lot of reporting on the fact that we've been at war for all these years in places that have nothing to do with 9-11 Has without a lot to do with an authorization Boeing. of the use of military force. So I think we would be consistent on this issue as well. Yeah, but I'm still a little puzzled as to... I can't you know, understand wh- how you can be puzzled that the commander-in-chief, whose job is to protect the citizens of the United States, you guys think we can be starting wars all over the world, bombing people all over the world, paying Boeing for... All, but the one thing he can't do is actually protect American citizens. That's his job. That is his number one job. And well, wait a second. I mean, should he be building walls like in American cities between neighborhoods where there is more crime? Then I don't understand the logic there. There's not no, that the much crime. the commander in chief's job is not to protect the citizens of Indiana from the citizens of Illinois. It is to protect this United States citizens from foreigners. From foreigners who would do us harm, like killing seventy thousand people so you're a year with forget drugs. Congress. He doesn't need to deal never with Congress. Did. He, he never he, did. He, he could just do it himself. Now, I do think he should have asked Congress for the money. Why? And it well, shows Congress that I was completely wrong about Mitch McConnell having three brain cells he could rub together. Mm-hmm. He should have gotten the Democrats to vote over and over and over again against E-Verify, against taxing remittances, against a wall. Because I know, and you know. I know you think those polls are so much on your side. I say let's have a big argument about whether an illegal alien who runs across the border at eight months pregnant drops a baby. Oh, yeah, it must be in the Constitution. Does anyone stop and ask, huh, that's weird. Why would somebody put that in the Constitution? Well, they didn't. It was invented by Justice Brennan in 1982 and slipped into a footnote. It is dicta in a Supreme Court opinion. All right. No I, Congress I, I, I ever will, said that I if you're born, wait, illegal aliens born here are from the constitutional scholar who endorses your idea that the president can just unilaterally order the wall being built without approval from Congress or funding by Congress. I, I mean, please let me know when you find a constitutional scholar who endorses that uh, Okay, position. You, you find but, someone who can read. Um, <laughs> and as for the anchor babies, yeah. you can check with Richard Posner. You can check with, with anyone on that. We weren't talking about the anchor babies right now. Well, it's now. all but we... let's talk about it, look, your relationship. Look, he promised all of it. Let's talk about okay, your wait, relationship with the president. Off. Now I'm hot. Because he's not very happy with you. In fact, he just said in a daily oh, call, so Wall gentle. Street Journal interview, I hear she, that's Coulter, becoming very hostile. Maybe I didn't return her phone call or something. Uh, were you calling him? That's the most gentle, alleged rebuke. I love these headlines. Trump blasts Coulter. He just called his own intelligence officials morons. Perhaps they're lacking into all he says about me is I hear she's hostile. No, yeah. that, that that's right. that's sending me a love poem. Oh yeah. Okay. Well <laughs> so he did return your phone call? None of your beeswax, Michael <laughs> Well why not? Shouldn't we know who the president is getting advice from? No. Yeah, well, I mean, some of Read us my do Twitter believe feed. in transparency. As I pointed out well, before, yeah. if you there were reading my Twitter he, feed, unfollowed me. That he unfollowed you or blocked you on Twitter. Is that true? He did not block me. He, he unfollowed, unfollowed you. Me. And then he followed you back? No, but he's reading me. <laughs> well, how do you know that? I can tell. Yeah. Well, somebody's reading me. They're all right. reading me over there. Right. All right. Does it matter to you whether it's called a wall or a fence or some just fancy steel slats I think thing? it should be called 
the President Donald J. Okay. Trump yes. impermeable border wall mm -hmm. in gold. Right. Yeah. And golf course. <laughs> I think that's how we can get him to do it. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that, like, two years from now, there's going to be a wall? I mean, do you really believe uh, that this is even possible? It's do or die right now. Is it possible yeah. to build a wall again? Have you heard of politically, Israel? Politically, I'm just saying, is it going to... I'm not... <laughs> Is it can, it's insane. You... The American people have been voting every time they are allowed to vote. I'm sorry, it's not one of your, your Gallup polls. But gosh, when they <laughs> actually go the and they can vote, yeah. every time they get a chance to vote, they vote for less immigration. They vote for no welfare for immigrants, legal or illegal. Yeah. They vote for English language requirements. They have Okay, the, all right. Wait, Let me I push back finished. on this for a second. Go I ahead. Right, go Congress, ahead. Republicans, my jackass party that is only doing the bidding of the plutocrats, which is why Trump was so appealing. Finally, someone who isn't jumping to the tune of the Koch brothers. Oh, but then he got into office and hired Jared Kushner. And Jared Kushner said, do everything the Koch brothers say. Three times Republicans have tried to push through an amnesty in the last decade. First, I think it was McCain, then Bush, then, of course, Rubio. The only way, when Rubio pushed it, Rupert Murdoch, Hannity, Rush, they were right with him. They were protecting him. Fox News, I read it in the New York Times, was ordered to not use the word amnesty. Somehow, it slips out to the American people. They find out an amnesty is going through. They shut down the congressional switchboards, and one politician after another has seen his career crash on the shoals of believing the Wall Street Journal editorial page on immigration. Now we have an admittedly non-traditional candidate running for president in Donald Trump. I don't think Americans said, oh, I liked him on The Apprentice. Let's put him in the White House. No, he was the only one who was saying the stuff we've wanted to hear for 30 years. The he just won. Do not tell saying me about the House. Okay, there Come are on. a few politicians who crashed on the shoals of anti-immigration platforms. Yeah. Uh -uh. Yeah. Oh, How about Pete uh, Wilson? Who ran for oh in, in 1996? Gosh, look this is and such look a what's lie. okay. Look what's happened in California okay. in the last since he ran for okay. president. Uh, how about your friend no, no, Steve? No, 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 no. Wait, let me finish. No, no, no. Let's let's this. Okay, that so one. look that at California. That is the biggest lie. That is the California, biggest lie. Not a single lie. statewide okay, Republican California. Correct. In, in decades now, Democrats have won. The California has gone for a Democrat by like Let's 40 percentage that. points. Let's take that. All right. Because it's one of those things that just gets says over and over and over again when all of the obvious manifest facts are completely the opposite. Pete Wilson was losing re-election. He was down. He was less popular in Orange County than the Democrat at that point. He ties himself with titanium cords to, what was it, Proposition 209, one number, whatever it was, that would deny welfare to illegal legal aliens, which passed in the state of California, majority of Asians, majority of blacks, majority of whites, and the usual amount of Hispanics, 34% or something. He sails to re-election. Poor Kathleen Brown, who was running against him, is desperately backpedaling at the last minute trying to denounce whatever the name of the proposition was. Now, how did that get overturned? Because there was a popular vote? Because the people voted against it? Why no? Why no? It was a Democrat-appointed judge. And then a new governor came in, Gray Davis, who was so popular he got recalled. And California did not appeal the, um, I think it was a Clinton judge, saying, oh, no, we find this. And by the way, he was lobbying against it. Mexico, you know, because they're sending their best. Because of that, illegal aliens poured into California, sucked up all the welfare services, and that's why a Republican can't be elected. It's not because, oh, it succeeded and the Hispanics rose up and turned, no, Pete Wilson got more black votes in that election. By the way, Republicans tend not to sweep with the black voters than congressional candidates that so you year. Wanna, he was killing it you that wanna, year. You want to kick them all out, right? Isn't that your goal? Kick who all out? Illegal uh, aliens? Yeah. People who broke our laws to get here? Yes. How about DACA? How about uh, the dreamers? I want them to go first. You want them to go first? I would first. keep the, the, so the, the criminals. So little kids who got taken here well, when they were two or three yeah, years John, old. Hold on a second. Okay, yeah. just, just kick them out. Right. Um, because at least when we catch Kate Steinle's killer, he doesn't bossily go on MSNBC and say, how dare you not amnesty? They, you know, you catch a cr illegal right, alien know, criminal. Look, look. They say, All okay, right. you All got right. Hold me. on a second. No, DACA, they're on TV. Yeah. I demand amnesty yesterday. They're so bossy. Screw them. But no, why are you so they should go first. on the wall when the vast majority of undocumented Immigrants in this country that's are people BS. who overstay. That's not BS. It's total that's true. BS. It's another one of those lines that just gets repeated.
Absolutely. You're using yes. alternative facts now, Anne. <laughs> no, the I'm not. A much larger percentage Everything... of illegal immigrants in this country yeah. are people who overstay their okay. visas. That is America, just a fact. Everything yes. you are told about immigration in the media is a lie. If you want the truth with footnotes, it's all in Adios America. As explained in Adios America... And on Bill Maher's show, I mean, even their audience knows by now, there are at least 50, 60 million illegal aliens, and that's as of when Adios America came out. First, there were a couple of, I mean, it's been, does anyone notice it's been 11 million for 30 years now? Huh, that's weird. That's like 20% of the whole population. It hasn't changed right. for 20 years. Not one more illegal alien has come. Where's the 60 million number The 60 number million come from? comes from the following. So in 2006, a couple of Bear Stearns analysts, oh, you know how we get, everybody gets to 11 million. They take polls and they ask immigrants, are you here illegally? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the figure everyone is using. Yeah. Seriously, that's how they figured it out. So right. two Bear Stearns analysts advising people about something important, unlike the government, their money, said this is insane. It hasn't been 11 million. This is in 2006, they say it hasn't been 11 million for 20 years. So they look at other things, remittances back to Mexico, all this money, $25 billion, gets sent by Mexican legal and illegal citizens or um, immigrants here every year, $25 billion that, That's back how to you say, by the way, that Mexico is going to pay for the That's wall, how Trump right? said it during his campaign. I'm quoting Trump. So Taxing those remittances. They look at the remittances. They look at illegal alien hotspots, various places in New Jersey. They look at housing permits, graduation rates, and it's a long analysis. You may look it up. They've determined in 2006 that there were, I think, 20 million Maybe they okay. said 30. So no, we, I haven't we finished. Should, we should then, take the word of two these two Pulitzer Prize uh, winning. No, no, no. Haven't, no, Anne hasn't over finished. every other government study that's we, been where done they, on Where the they pull immigrants right. and say, are you right. here okay. illegally? Okay. okay, then, no, I haven't finished. Then two famous Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporters, Bartlett and Steele, spent a year investigating illegal immigration, also in 2006, coming out simultaneously. One year. They have right. their own entry in Wikipedia, and they said three million are coming a year. That was in 2006, even if it went down to, to 1 million a year, even if there was a cutback. We are up to 50 or 60 million illegal aliens. And, and look, every government study and serious study has said there's That's not no a serious evidence, study. excuse me, that undocumented immigrants to this country have no higher rate of crime than any other group of Americans. You know, you, what, you do, what you do in Adios America is you do do your nexus searches looking for illegals who have committed crimes and you stack up your anecdotes one after another. Yeah, that's exactly what you did. I've read the book. And the point is, this is such a bogus methodology that you use. You just use this anecdotal evidence. You could take any... Listeners, he's lying. We'll get back to what I actually do in a moment. You could take any (laughs) ethnic group, any subgroup in the United States and do nexus searches and find that they've engaged in crime. All the Jews on Wall Street who have committed insider trading abuses. Why don't we crack down on the Jews on Wall Street? Or even better, all the wasps in Greenwich, Connecticut who go to the country club, get drunk, and then engaged in uh, DWIs and hit and runs. This is a long, very amusing response, but it has nothing to do with Adios America. Greenwich, Connecticut. No, it's the same methodology, Coulter. No, that is not my methodology. He's lying to you. Okay, Okay, that would be a very good point if that. That's what I did in Adios okay. America. It's absolutely not what I did, yeah. as you will read at the beginning of This is your basis seven. for saying there's some grave Lie. threat to Lie. the country. Not true. Okay, but it ahead. would have been a fantastic response if that's what I did in Adios America, yeah. not what I did. Right. Um, what I did, and you can read it very clearly, is I said, wow, the government is hiding the information on how many immigrants are in prison. I looked and I looked and I looked. I spent a long time looking for some kind of report. How many? Why don't we know? We know how many Samoans have battery-powered radios. The census information collects information on how many people have stair railings that are broken, whether you have mold in your shower. But they can't count. In prisons, where you've had a lot of contact with government officials, policemen, judges, parole officers, the prison guards, they refuse to count how many immigrants okay, illegal. Okay, so this is a government saying, conspiracy that has still gone talking, back. Still talking, still talking, responding to his lie about what my book does. So I go through I how the government. I read your book, but You ahead. skipped the chapter where I say they will not tell us, they will not tell us. This is very suspicious. Why, why, why are they concealing this? 
I don't know why Donald Trump hasn't ordered them to finally count it up because it's embarrassing. And now, why do I go through various sex crimes in the book? Yes. Um, especially sex crimes and other yeah. murders and so on and so forth. That isn't to illustrate who's committing the crimes. It's to illustrate how the media hides it. For example, there was a vicious gang rape where two little 14-year-old girls were killed in Texas. Huge, massive news in Texas. Gets covered in all of the papers. It was a horrible, sickening crime. They beat them up. They were like 14 and 15-year-old, very pretty girls. It was an awful case. In the entire Nexus archives, and there were hundreds of articles about this rape, it was not until the leader of the ring was sentenced to death and he appealed his case to the Hague because he wasn't an American citizen, he was an illegal alien, the first time the word Mexican was ever put in an article so about that. So what's your point? My point is, you say, ha-ha, government's conspiracy not to tell us who the immigrants are. Well, I can prove there's a media conspiracy okay, not but no, to tell but us. I, in your book, you allege a government conspiracy not to reveal immigrant crimes, right? And I'm just asking— Well, you can call well, it a conspiracy to try this. to make it crazy, but why don't they do it? I didn't it? say conspiracy theory. And why I said a conspiracy, the, which, as you know, is a legal term. Why so will the— I just want to know— No, here's my question. Okay, and is there's this a, a conspiracy that rape. goes back— Now I'm talking. I go—okay. Okay, so <laughs> is this a— I just I want to know, is this a conspiracy, a government conspiracy that goes back, you know, to the George W. Bush administration, the Clinton administration, the George H.W. Bush, the Reagan administration? Is this a bipartisan conspiracy to conceal well, these Well, you facts? can't really go back to the Reagan administration because we didn't have so many immigrants here then. Because um, of Reagan's amnesty. <laughs> no, but it, I mean, from 1604 until... Uh, around 1970, saying, we like, were who, a country that was 90% white. Who was responsible white, for this conspiracy to 10 keep 10% black, keep maybe a few percent others. So, no, there were a lot. No, until the 80s, really 90s, was when the immigration of the third world here really went into overdrive. I go through, line by line, a New York Times article on among gang rape in California. And they're talking about, you know, fraternity rapes. You would have no idea reading this article that it was Hmong. I'm sorry, that's weird. Not so right, you can no. try to make it sound crazy by calling it a conspiracy, but why won't the New York Times tell us when they're saying, oh, it could happen anywhere, it could happen by that football. It reminds me of a fraternity rape once without ever mentioning <laughs> that it was it, it, among immigrants gang-raping little girls. A long, major article never uses the word mung. Hundreds of articles on Nexus on illegal aliens from Mexico gang-raping these little girls in Texas and murdering them. Never mentioning Mexico. All Never right. saying Mexican. Be because we're you all... You can laugh about that being because a we're all protecting but you Mexico. tell me. We're, we're all protecting okay, Mexico. Okay, so why, well, why do you think that's going? Well, why do you... That's I don't weird. Know. Not I, an interesting fact. What, but it's interesting to talk about fraternity rapes in the, when we're reporting no, on among no, no. rape. I'm just waiting for the president who will have the victims of DWIs by wasps in Greenwich is, is sitting in the State of the Union. Again, you're missing the, what the, do you the point. What do you have Greenwich, is a cough? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Let me, <laughs> you know, somebody here but is you're from missing Greenwich. The point. But, but, oh. yeah, yeah. I notice, right. and I'm... Right. Okay, Look, let's conclude up. this point. Up. Wait, I want to conclude it with one point. Yeah. I notice that only one side is calling for the government to count. Which, how many immigrants are in prison and yeah. what they're in prison for, whether they're legal or illegal. Right. Only only my side says, hey, could you count? I notice all these BS studies. No, no, no. We're going to estimate. In a Ann Coulter administration, because I hear you might be running for president, <laughs> uh, just to get it on the record, Donald Trump doesn't do this and you become president. You're going to do it because you're going to order the military to do it and you have the authority to do that. No, I Correct? think Trump's going to do that. I think he's finally going to pull that pocket constitution out, out of his right. out of his lapel pocket. And, right. Oh my gosh, I'm the president. And, this is great. And 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 if he does not, <laughs> should he be challenged by in a Republican primary? I think he will be. By who? And actually I think it doesn't matter. What do you mean it doesn't matter? He's going to lose if he doesn't. Well, all right, but if do, you want, do you want on a primary challenger now? to President Trump in 2020? A Republican um, no, I want him to build the wall and anchor it, babies, deport does not, dreamers. If he does not, 
I think I'm pretty sure there will be a primary challenger, and it's not going to be Jeff Flake. <laughs> is there a well is there, reflecting is there a, your, from your side? Of yeah, this? that's right. Is there an American yeah, politician want, out there who you think? Well, you want, you want Steve King to run for having, president? Who, who who do you want? To Mo Brooks with? is terrific. I think we should, and also he should. Did you he say sh- Mel Brooks? Who? Mo oh. Brooks, the one <laughs> okay. who yeah. should be the senator from Alabama instead of Doug Jones, but idiot Jared Boy said no. Endorse Luther Strange. He's huge in Alabama. It'll be great. And we ended up with what's his name? Doug Jones. No, Judge Roy. Uh, oh, Roy, Roy Moore. Moore. Roy Moore. And right, right. thus, yeah. Doug Jones. Buddy yeah. Bannon was uh, campaigning for. Well, and... only because idiot boy Jared told Trump to endorse Luther Strange, who, by the way, was appointed by you know that utterly corrupt governor. All right, it was the but most I just want to nail this thing. down to, to wrap this up. If the wall is not built, if we don't get, if you I don't, can't if even you don't get it, such a you would support a Republican, conservative, anti-immigrant primary challenger to Donald Trump. Yes or no? I don't know. It's it's a hypothetical. I think it's he's going to hypoth- build the wall. It's very real. I think there will be challengers if that happens. I think there will be tryouts, but I don't. Yeah, we'll see. Given all your criticism of Trump for breaking his promise and not doing well, the one thing that was the centerpiece of his campaign, if 18 months from now, he hasn't done it, or a year from now, right. why, wouldn't you support Well, I'm not considering it broken yet. I'm just reminding him <laughs> that if he doesn't effing build it, yeah. this will be a very big broken promise. And look, as you guys know, but no one in the White House seems to know, Republican presidents have kind of a history of making big promises, getting elected on those promises, and then betraying their promise. <laughs> and it doesn't end well. Well, on that note, and <laughs> Coulter, thanks for joining us again on Skullduggery. Read Adios America. <laughs> are now joined by uh, Jerome Corsi, otherwise known as person number one in the Roger Stone <laughs> indictment. Dr. Corsi, welcome to Skullduggery. Thank you. Great pleasure to be with both of you. So you've gotten some uh, notoriety of late, not just because of your appearance in the Stone indictment, but you've got a book that adds some additional material that Roger Stone is not happy with. You allege in the book that you got a call from... Stone on October 7th, before the release of the Access Hollywood tape, in which Stone is telling you that the Access Hollywood tape is about to come out, and can you hurry up and get Assange to release the Podesta emails? Well, first of all, it's good to be with you both, and I want to make it clear that I'm not interested in having any fight or disagreement with Roger. He's uh, interested in having a fight with you. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Roger's called me Judas. He's called me a liar. He's called me a number of things, and he should stop it. It's to his detriment. He's really got to worry about fighting against Mueller. Uh, by the way, the incident here on the Access Hollywood and that date, that's not in the indictment. Right. And Roger's very upset about it, but it's not in the indictment. And but I'm, it is in your well, forthcoming I'll book. I'll, yeah. I'll be happy to discuss it. I'm not trying to evade it. I'm going to address I just want to give you the context. Make it sure, make sure Roger hears that he ought to pay primary attention to what's in the indictment because those are the issues that are going to be important. This is not a public relations event Roger's dealing with. This is a trial. Now, that's my recollection. And you'll, if you read the book, Silent No More, on this date, I believe October 8th. October 7th. Or 7th, when wow. the. It's very hard to get all the details and facts. And I, I'm not like a human tape recorder, you can't punch a button. and I give you back exactly what happened and the, repeat the conversation. I recall Roger had, had three calls. Two of them, one I think was 18 minutes, one was 21 minutes. And my recollection is that Roger mentioned that the Access Hollywood was coming and that we needed to get to Assange. Now, a couple, I want to say, Michael, let me say a couple more things about this. It's very important. Number one, I've said this repeatedly. I don't think Roger's heard me. I have that recollection. That's my recollection. I'm trying to tell the truth. So can I just... He can have a different l- recollection. Let me just ask you. You say the Access Hollywood tape was coming. Now, of course, at that point, when you're getting these calls from Roger, nobody knows what the Access Hollywood tape is. What does Stone tell you about well, I, that? Okay. That there's a tape in which Trump is talking about grabbing women by the pussy? What, okay. what does he tell you? Well, Mike, first of all, I think you're not entirely correct on that because the Washington Post, I believe gave advance notice 
Correct. To the Trump, to the Trump, Trump campaign. Trump but the campaign. world didn't know about no. what this tape and was. And what I remember and what I testified to, this yeah. was a point even before the grand jury, was that I remember him saying specifically the grabbing them by the genitals and that it was very offensive and that this might that Roger, I remember wanting to have Assange respond quickly with his emails. Now, please listen to me here mm-hmm. because I've said repeatedly that my recollections and Roger's differ on this. Now, I'm not maintaining that my recollection is true and his is false. I don't, three people see an automobile accident. You got three different versions of the automobile accident. I can only testify to you as to my recollection. Roger's entitled to his own. And from all the work I've done in psychology and everything else, training and, and experience in life, my recollections are not always accurate against an objective sense of truth, but whatever let, that means. Let, let, let me just ask you this question. Well, first of all, I think it's important to provide a little of the context here. I think what you were getting at is the Hollywood access tape had not been released yet. Roger Stone would have known about it potentially because the reporter at the Washington Post, Farentold, called the Trump campaign to say he had this tape. And so Roger was advising the Trump campaign, and so in that capacity might have learned about it, which would give credence to why he would be calling you because he yeah. wanted to get these tapes out to distract from the release of the videotape, which could have been disastrous. But let me just ask you this no, one Let me quick... answer that first okay. because there's yeah. a point you're making there I want to comment okay. on. And that is that what Roger perceived he was doing, you'll have to ask Roger about. I've told you what I perceived. I perceived that this... Access Hollywood was coming out. It had very damaging language that was recorded by Donald Trump. This was a very busy day for me. And with a special counselor, they had all my phone calls, and we went through. I did not get my phone calls. Verizon wouldn't give me my phone calls. For that day, we had all my phone calls. I went through every one of the calls, every one of the meetings I had. The call with Roger came in about 2 o'clock, the last call. And I'd had conference calls and other meetings that day. And my recollection was I tried to say to the World Net Daily conference call that this is coming. Does anybody know a way to get to Assange? I did not have a way to get to Assange. And in all the calls I made, there was no one I called or contacted that I could figure out, or even the special prosecutor could figure out, as far as I know, that was a way to get the message to Assange. Now, very possibly, Roger wanted me to do that, but it didn't okay. succeed. Well, we're going to get to questions about communications with Assange in a little bit, but didn't the Mueller team have records of the phone calls that you were talking about between Roger Stone in, and In yourself? fact, and this is important for Roger to know, is that um, what the Mueller lawyers, the three prosecutors, told my lawyer, David Gray, was that they had the content of the phone calls. The content? I believe so. How, how would they have the content? Well, see, now now you're getting at the heart of my uh, one of the issues of my lawsuit. I've just filed a federal lawsuit against Mueller, and I believe I was subject for the at least the FISA wires, electronic surveillance, which I think was illegal. And I may have been subject as far back as the NSA surveillance to 2004. But repeatedly... The prosecutors would say things, the three of Mueller's prosecutors would say things to David Gray in the conferences they had, and when David came back in and said, they know your phone calls. They have the contents of the phone calls. Well, I, look, i got to say, that doesn't make any sense. There Why would have been no grounds the, to have the content and, of the phone well, Michael, calls. Well, Michael, were you yes. there? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I was not. But look, <laughs> were you in the room? With, I, didn't, I looked around. I didn't no, see no, no, you. No, no, no. I'm I just saying. Did you talk to David Gray? <laughs> Here's the chronology. At 1230 that day, Farenthold calls the Trump campaign and asks for comment on the tape. At 142, Stone calls you, and you speak for 18 How minutes. How do we know that? That's um, this is... That was in my phone records that was given right. were given to me. Remember, the Mueller team has pretty much everything. So you got those phone records from... From Mueller. From the Mueller team. Yeah, right? they they gave me these phone records. The, As the, I say... A call log. They had the time of the calls. They had the time and who was called. Right. Okay, and that's what they had. And there was, I believe, one call for one minute that didn't connect. It didn't seem like. There was one for 18 minutes. I think that's right. the that's one you're talking minutes. about. 18 minutes. And then there's another one at 2.18. Yeah. You call Stone back and you speak for In 21 fact, I minutes. Had a con- that's, I think, when I had the 
daily conference with the WorldNet Daily staff in between the two. That was the publication that you were working for? I was working. I was a staff reporter for WorldNet Daily. We had a daily conference call, and I think that was between the two calls. Now, when I was finished with that, my recollection is, and this is, by the way, detailed. This is nothing new. This is in silent no more. It's been out there for two months in an ebook edition and for one month in an audiobook edition. And it's available for everybody to hear. And it's not in the indictment. This is not an issue that Roger is being pressed on. All right. To the best of your recollection, did Roger Stone tell you that he'd heard about this upcoming tape from somebody in the Trump campaign? No, I don't recall it that distinct. And now, Michael, see, you're doing the same thing that the prosecutors did to me. You're asking me to be a human tape recorder. You're punching a button, and you want to hear the... I'm just trying to get the facts here. I understand. trying to get the facts. And since you want to hear the recording, go to Bueller, because he seems to have the recording. Well, I'm skeptical. I don't. I'm skeptical I know that, you are. that there would be a recording unless Stone was, uh, yeah. without your knowledge, taping the phone well, call. Well, I doubt and that. Somehow they... I have no reason to suspect that. But you'd have to ask him. And by the way, yeah. I'm telling you my best recollection, and I'm also telling you it's not precise. It's the impression I have from that call. And I did testify to it, and I did write about it in the book. Roger may see it differently. I don't know what Roger well, sees. Well, all we know is what Roger wrote on Instagram after you began talking about this. I, con- I oh, challenge this yeah. congenital liar, that's you, <laughs> to produce any evidence, corroboration, or proof of this fairy tale which has emerged from his alcoholic haze. I'll wait. God will strike this liar down. You think Roger could have said it any sharper? I mean, you know, I, I will draw. <laughs> How would you feel about that? Well, I will draw a line of defamation. I'm not going to put up with defamation. I think, though, that this is unfortunate on Roger's part, and I would really encourage him to stop. I'm testifying. You have to understand this. I'm trying to testify as to what my perceptions of the truth are. And I've been doing that from the beginning. Now, you guys may not understand me in this regard, but my religion is very important to me. I make memory mistakes all the time, and I had to have the testimony amended. But I'm not giving my testimony calculated to benefit or to detriment anybody. I'm just trying to do it as precisely as I can from what I remember and from what the record demonstrates. And Roger, if he does look at the indictment, should realize that this indictment was written to be determined on the evidence. And in fact, there's Roger, instead of going back, he said, she said, with me and all these nasty name-calling and the like, which I would prefer to ignore, I don't have any malice towards Roger. and uh, I don't got want... malice to you. That's his the... problem. It's yeah. not mine. Right. I feel love in my heart towards Roger, and I have no intention of saying anything to him. I wouldn't lie to save him, and I wouldn't lie to hurt him. I wouldn't lie. That's my recollection. It's in my grand jury testimony. It's been for two months in print in the book. Roger's just now angry about it. But it's been out there now for a couple of months. Right. And I'm perfectly happy if Roger disputes it. I'm not going to argue with him that I was right and he was wrong. Well, I could point out that if Mueller really did have the content of these phone calls, he could have put them in the indictment, yeah. and, uh, he might and have, it would have I, been pretty conclusive evidence. Well, uh, Michael, of, you're speculating, and you can speculate all you want. Right, I can't okay. tell you whether right. he has it or doesn't have let me, it. Let me, let me I can go, just tell but, you what my attorney told right. me. Now, now, not too long ago, just to like about a month and a half ago, Mueller was starting to indict you. And in fact, they that was in November. In November. That was in November. Okay, so it's, and they gave you a draft indictment, a statement of offense, and I rejected it. Uh, a plea deal. Yeah, right. it was a plea deal. They wanted me to plead to one count, and it was uh, the first day's testimony, which they'd allowed me to amend, and they wanted me to plead guilty to the first day's memory mistake when I had not seen a couple of emails. I was not able to reload my 2016 emails before the first day's interview. Because I wanted to deliver to them these old computers in the state I last used them in. Right. And so when I amended, I got went home 10 days. They gave me 10 days to go home and review and load my 2016 emails. When I came back, I amended that testimony, and they accepted the amendment into the record. Now, when they got mad at me, when this whole thing blew up because I could not give them a contact to Assange, I don't have a contact to Assange. You asked this guy, Ted Malik in London. We're going to get to that in a minute, but but I'm not going to answer future questions. I'll finish answering the current question. When they presented to me this plea deal, 
I said, that's fraudulent. I'm not going to stand up before a God and a judge and say I knowingly and willfully gave the special prosecutor and the FBI information, material information, I knew to be false with the intent to deceive them. I forgot a couple of emails that were in question here. They allowed me to amend the testimony, and I did not commit that crime. So I refused. They wanted me to lie, tell that to a judge that I did that when I did not knowingly and willfully give them information, the material I knew to be false to deceive them. I wouldn't do it. They said they would put me in jail for the rest of my life, 72 years old. Could, one year could be the rest of my life. I said, if that's what you want to do, if I have to lie, and by the way, also in that plea deal, they required that I, I have securities license and insurance license. They say you're going to plea that you're a criminal before a federal judge and it's going to be sealed. You can't tell the regulators and insurance. So they wanted me to violate my material obligations under the regulations of both of those for licenses. I wouldn't do that either. Okay. So, Dr. Corsi, I want to ask you about, you alluded to this a second ago, your alleged contacts with WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, which I don't allege I have But others yeah. have. And it's really important because a lot of this is what's fueled the belief that there was coordination with WikiLeaks from the Trump campaign. Roger Stone asking you to go to WikiLeaks and get these emails released. You predicting and actually flatly saying that some of these emails were going to come out in October, which they did. So first of all, for the record, on Skullduggery right now, you mean Did this, you is, have... this is harder than under oath before <laughs> the grand jury? We are all about the truth Now here. I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm really scared. You did not have... You have had no contact, Zipola. direct or indirect, Zipola. with... None. WikiLeaks none. with Julian Assange. None, right. none, so, okay, none, so, none, so, none, none, All right. So explain to us how it is that you were able to deduce, guess, figure out... Can I just add, I'll explain it, but you will still not one get it. Sentence, okay. One I sentence guarantee you. from the statement of offense they gave you. This is an email you wrote to uh, Stone on August 2nd, 2016. Word is friend in embassy plans two more dumps, one shortly after I'm back, second in October. Impact plan to be very damaging. So what are you asking me about that? Well, that sounds like you did have advanced knowledge of what Julian Assange was going to so do. So that is the question, in yes. other words. Okay, I can answer that. Since I was a child, uh, I've had the ability, I believe, to put these things together. It's kind of like seeing a few pieces of a puzzle. But that's clairvoyance. It's not, I thought, I'm it's sorry, not... did I, did I uh, ask you to interrupt my question, my answer? <laughs> be, all right. Go Please go on. To, go why on. Do, why don't you just say what you want go to on. say? Go on. I just did. Go ahead. <laughs> go on. Go on. We want to hear your answer. That sounds like the next question. You're not going to believe my answer. Then you're going to charge me with being psychic. But you didn't even hear my first answer. All right. Let's, All right. let's hear it's it. It's not that you have your go mind made it. up or anything. <laughs> I didn't think you have your mind made up in advance. At any rate, so I'd say things to my dad. My dad said, look, Jerry, if you start telling people this, they're going to think you're crazy. So you tell me. <laughs> You guys still think I'm crazy. <laughs> well, see, both, yeah, not, you, you think I, so my dad was right. Yeah. He said, so you better start saying things like the word is. You better make it sound like you've got a source or nobody's going to believe you. Or like my editors would have said, Jerry, what's your sources for this? I said, well, I got three, me, myself, and I. Well, that's not going to cut it. So I can explain to you how I figured out it was going to be Podesta's emails. You probably won't buy that either. But the truth is, we spent 20 hours with the prosecutors. And I said, okay, I'm willing to admit maybe I had a blockage. Maybe I forgot. Maybe I communicated with somebody who I didn't know was feeding me information about Assange. So we painstakingly went through everybody who showed up in my phone messages, my email messages, any records I had of meeting people. And the FBI actually went to see a great number of those people. Now, after 20 hours, I couldn't find anybody that was connected to Assange. And there was no indication whatsoever that I had met with Assange or talked to Assange. Now, David Gray, again, asked Your lawyer. The, my Your lawyer, lawyer, asked the prosecutors, there were three of them, Jeannie Ree, Zelensky, Aaron Zelensky, and uh, Andrew Goldstein, if they would just help us, if they had someone... I was willing to search my records and my. If they, they had produced somebody I'd forgotten about, I was going to say, I'll acknowledge it. Remember, 
I'm trying to tell the truth to the best of my ability, whether it helps me or hurts me. It wouldn't have been a crime to see Assange. So there's nothing here I'm hiding because there's no difference. I did my doctoral dissertation at Harvard on the Pentagon Papers case, which is, you know, New York Times v. U.S. I knew that as a journalist I could see Assange. Uh, I could publish what he had. It wouldn't be a crime. It's just that I didn't see Assange, and I didn't get any information directly So or when you wrote word is, where was the word from? I'm, I'm trying to make it sound like I had, trying to make it sound more credible. But that still doesn't explain how you figured that out. Okay, now, that's the next question. Okay, now, do you want to accuse me of being a psychic before or after I give you the answer? Well, give me the answer, and then, ah, I'll, and then, I'll, and then, then I'll And I'll then decide. we'll pass judgment. Yeah, yes. this, <laughs> oh, so yeah. this time yeah. I get to answer, yeah. actually, before you pass judgment. Hey. I guess maybe I was clairvoyant in figuring out what you were going to say. <laughs> well, All right, I, let's... I think actually you are. <laughs> okay, look. In, um, I think it was June 2016, the DNC finally came forward and said that Podesta's emails had been breached. Okay? And so that became public record. Secondly, on July 22nd, 2016, Assange dropped somewhat like 40,000 emails DNC on, emails. on DNC emails on Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Okay, now, and Debbie Wasserman Schultz resigned mm -hmm. on that Sunday before the gavel came down on the convention. Assange was timing the release. He knew he could capture the news cycle while the Democrats were en route and wouldn't be able to organize an effective media response. It worked. Now, as I study those, and, you know, I've had intelligence training. I did a lot of work for the federal government under contract. I wrote a paper in 1971 where I figured out a computer model that predicted the outcome of terrorism. It was published in the Journal of Conflict Resolution at, uh, I believe it was Yale. So this became internationally used. I was recruited on a team, psychiatrists. I'm not a psychiatrist. and we. Now, what I'm telling you is this. I learned the forensic analysis. I went through these emails, and I saw these were largely coming through the DNC server, and Podestas weren't there. Although I knew Podesta had to have emails in that server because he was communicating with people in the DNC, which would have gone through that server. And I said, well, Podesta's emails were stolen. They're not here. I made a leap of deduction, induction. I said, what Assange has is Podesta's emails. Now, I didn't know, and what I've learned when they were actually released is I think the person who got into the DNC server probably also, or maybe another person, independently got into the Gmail account of Podesta. And I wasn't that detailed when I came up with the actual leap of judgment to say this is Podesta, but I knew they were missing, and I knew Podesta's had been taken, and I figured, given how strategic Assange is, my conclusion was Assange, and Assange came out almost immediately after the July 22nd dump on W. Washington. He said, I've got more. Now, I followed, he said, I was, he said, are they Hillary's questions? So right. they're about Hillary. All right, so you were puffing yourself with, with I stone. But myself. I want to ask you about one other thing in the, uh, and in now the you draft see, well, indictment. Don't you want to accuse me? Don't you, I mean, no, no, no. I, I, how get, about the I get your point. How about the I, I get thing? your are point. You, are All we right. past the psychic? One, one other point. Between uh, approximately Ju January 13th, 2017, and March 1, 2017, Corsi deleted from his computer all email correspondence that predated October 11th, 2016, including person one, that's Roger Stone's email instructing Corsi to get to the founder of WikiLeaks and Corsi's subsequent forwarding of that email to the overseas individual, that's Ted Malik. True or false? Did you well, delete those emails? I don't remember specifically. I'll tell you what happened. What happened is this. First of all, I had my computer, which was a 17-inch laptop, MacBook Pro, it was dying. I had to. I liked that size. I wanted to keep it going. I had an external hard drive that was backing it up. If you know how the Time Machine application works on Apple, it makes a copy of everything in your computer four times a month. That's how I had mine set up. So that hard drive had the complete record, and I couldn't alter it. I couldn't go back and erase it. It had a complete record of everything in my computer, for the years I was using it, the years in question. So A, and I handed that 
external hard drive over to the FBI. And the first day, we had our voluntary interviews, first day of 40 hours. So I knew that even if I erased emails out of that computer, they weren't gone. I could retrieve them. There's a distinction between erasing emails on a computer and destroying evidence. I did not destroy evidence. I knew it. Now, secondly, there were times when I actually opened the mail program on that computer, and it wouldn't open because I had so many emails. When I finally downloaded the 2016 emails, there were, I think, 50,000 emails. So it wasn't just emails that I was deleting from Roger Stone. I went through and deleted probably half of the emails in that computer at one time or another. But it was not you know, a vicious and malicious attempt to destroy evidence, which is right. implied, because all the evidence is still there. All right. Well, just to wrap up, somehow I, I think that back when you were on your birther kick and if uh, somebody is associated with so, Barack Obama uh, had deleted see. emails about so, his uh-huh. uh, birth certificate, so, you wouldn't accept a uh-huh. uh, explanation like that, no, that no, it was no, just like, innocent. I love it. Uh, I, I love uh, talking to you guys, how yeah. you defame me and put all... Well, no, uh, here's no. my question on the birth certificate. you want to deal with it? Uh, I don't think you want to. It's off topic. Well, it's, it's a bit off topic, but was, it is a rich part of your history and, and contribution can, to American life. I can life. defend it on another program as <laughs> easily right, as I right. defended this we'll, today. We'll, we'll, and I look forward we'll to that save opportunity. save that for another day. I can't wait. Let's <laughs> do right. it now. All right. Dr. Corsi, thanks for joining us My on Scope. Thank you so much, Dr. Yeah, Corsi. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks to Ann Coulter and Jerome Corsi for joining us on this episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on SiriusXM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at Pod. Now you can watch the podcast on yahoonews.com and Roku. Saturdays and Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Talk to you soon.